Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. We're recording. We won't even tell you what we were talking about before we started recording. That's that's for another time. That that's... needs to be like a premium. Like premium yeah. premium uh, subscribers can get the pre podcast conversation behind 27 speaks yeah it was a much more interesting conversation i think it's more like underneath, <laughs> underneath <yeah. laughs> i think it, you can only access it like after midnight too <laughs> is that possible can you make I, a podcast that I can only it. be accessed like after midnight oh that would like, be interesting that's such a great idea like in the old days remember how on the tv it's like you'd, you'd fall asleep on the couch and wake up and the american flag would be waving and <laughs> and the national anthem would be playing and then it would just go to snow Back in Pittsburgh, we had a guy named Bill Cardill, and he hosted a show. He was Chili Billy Cardilly, and he would do the uh, the late night horror shows. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, you had to stay up late on Saturday night to watch Chiller Theater. I think it was Chiller Theater, it was called. And I think yeah. we probably all had some variation of that wherever we grew up, right? We had, we had Dr. Creep, and he looked a lot like Alice Cooper. I and I was born in 86, so none of this resonates with me. Well, didn't okay. they have they had none of that stuff then? No late night movies? What year did Vincent Price die? <laughs> I hate to say, I actually covered a press conference with Vincent Price when I was in college once. Really? Yeah. Uh, so so Brend- Brendan had like Brendan had like Barney. So you want to talk yeah. about nightmares? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Talk about well, yeah, I saw that they brought Barney back, but he's like, they've given him like a facelift and he's not nearly as creepy. Now he's CG. He's not a guy in a suit. And he has a cane. You know, the other thing, watching late night TV when I was younger, I got my first glimpse of music videos before they were a thing. Like in the 70s, you, you guys remember, you guys who were old enough, I remember watching late night TV and and seeing Who Are You, which ended up being it, it was the, the music video for it, but it was actually from The Kids Are Alright from the movie. And they played this and I'm like, well, how cool is this? It's like a little movie for the song. And, you know, within a couple of years, music videos were, were the whole thing. And it was all over. Jeez, I'm old. Video killed the radio star, Joe. I am really old. If you're as old as me, you you'll remember that the Beatles had yes. videos going back yes. to '65 or something. Yes. You know? I remember Bob Welch from uh, Fleetwood Mac, right? I think he was in Fleetwood Mac right. for a while. Um, right. He, yeah. he hosted a late night video show. It was the first one I ever remember. It was in the '70s. This has nothing to do with our show. Well, but this should be our podcast this week. Just remembering back. <laughs> Maybe this should be the podcast. I feel like we're yeah. I think we're just we're just free flowing this week anyway i mean our topic is kind right. of a topic it's almost like we're just sort of musing ourselves you know not a yeah, lot so of news, uh, but let me, my, let me get my bong <laughs> let me get my bongos just to... let me introduce the topic. why don't you introduce and... that we haven't even introduced the panelists yet here oh yeah let's do i need that. to do that yeah, again do that. as usual all right yes. so that was bill sutton at the top of the podcast hitting the record button there hey bill hey annette i'm bill sutton i'm the managing editor of the express news group and taking part this week in CGI 3D sunglasses is Brendan O'Reilly. Hey, Brendan. Hi, Annette. Hi, everybody. I'm Brendan. I'm the deputy managing editor. And he's so professional looking in that one blue, one red lens glass. Very they're, they're, they're 3D movie watching glasses. Yeah. Which, which also predates you, right? Which <laughs> I wear these for the benefit of our podcast listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Because I remember those, yeah. too. And that's the voice of Joe Shaw, who's wearing, it looks like a Nirvana shirt today. Is that right? I am I am wearing my Nirvana shirt today, yes. And so what is your- A band, a band I never got to see no. live to my great detriment. So, no. hey, I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. Also, I, I had tickets. I never saw Radiohead. I had tickets to see Radiohead and the Beastie Boys and a couple other folks at Calverton. Remember that? Mm-mm. 
there was supposed to be a you, you remember the the big show that was coming to calvert was that the ill-fated show that got shut down that's the one it was a two-day show and we were very excited because we got tickets to the day that had radiohead and beastie boys and there were a couple of other really good bands and i still have the tickets somewhere because just got canceled it didn't happen it didn't happen and i never saw nirvana so that was the fire festival of riverhead is that what you're saying sort of Except we got our money back. Okay, you didn't have to sleep in the in like <laughs> we didn't have for a week. All right, I'm good to know. And eat cheese sandwiches, right? Uh, and my name is Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. We are really flashing back and joining. Speaking of flashbacks, also joining us this week is <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a Stephen Coates. And Stephen, what's your title this week? Uh, what is my title? Um, Get your card out, Puba. Grand Puba this week. That's a good one. Okay. There you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stephen's a reporter. Grab man. He's got lots of opinions too, which is why he's on this particular podcast. He's yet another senior staff writer. We have a lot of senior staff writers, which is why we're talking about things from the seventh. I think I'm just. I think I. Yeah. I'm a reporter. Checking his notes to make sure. Okay. <laughs> good so this this topic today is one that joe shaw suggested so maybe i'll let you do the introduction here joe since this was your idea so you can get all the blame if it goes off the rails that's fine and i it, it's a little esoteric and i admit that but um i was reading an article that we wrote this week and i believe it was in uh one of kitty's kitty merrill's articles if i'm not mistaken and um she quoted uh Southampton Town Supervisor Jay Schneiderman. There was a conversation about the uh, the housing situation, and and I think to some degree the context had to do with the state pushing for new rules with housing and things like that. And and Jay was talking about the community housing fund and some of the things that are coming down the pike for affordable housing. And the paragraph in the story was much. Uh, this is Kitty talking. Much of the town's zoning is based on the desire to protect the environment. In some ways, the result was a community that's no longer sustainable, the supervisor offered. And then she quotes Jay Schneiderman as saying, we did a great job of protecting the environment, but we really, but we really can't function if there's no one to pick you up in an ambulance when you have a heart attack. So what struck me about that quote, and I, I kind of I hesitate because I don't really want to put Jay on the spot because I think I think what he said makes perfect sense. That's not something that we say out loud, though, because it sort of begins to sound like criticism of the Community Preservation Fund and its impact over the last 25 years. And I was just sort of intrigued because one of the things that's been happening as we've been talking about the Community Housing Fund and its enactment has been that it came in the context of a lot of people saying, well, the Community Preservation Fund did so much good and has all this money, we should use it to create affordable housing, which you can't do. And Fred Thiel has made that clear many times that the way you do this is exactly what he did, which was to go back and create a separate fund for affordable housing. But in the context of this conversation, we kind of stop ourselves short of suggesting that the Community Preservation Fund may have helped to create some of the problems that we're experiencing when it comes to affordable housing. And, and I mean, I, and I, I actually, as I say this out loud, I'm bracing myself for the angry call I'm going to get from Fred Thiel, yeah. who is a, a, a dedicated listener to our podcast. And I think he's going to be very angry. And my point is that there's there's absolutely no argument that the Community Preservation Fund was an exceptionally beneficial thing for the entire community and did a lot of good and probably didn't do any harm. But if there was any unintended harm, I think we have to start talking about the fact that it has led in part to this situation we have with affordable housing. And, and Jay's comment is 100% a bullseye it's inarguable that it's not true. I just haven't heard an official say something like that out loud. And, and I find that kind of intriguing. And so maybe it's time to just sort of note that while the Community Preservation Fund preserved a lot of 
land and a lot of farmland and stopped a lot of overdevelopment in the area. And that's terrific. And there is no question that development is more expensive for a community than, than the, the alternative. So it saved a lot of taxpayer money in, in the process as well. I think we have to start saying that, that it took a lot of land off of the tax rolls that might have been available to help address the, the housing situation now. It's going to make it a little trickier for the towns to do that. And Would you have wanted it the other way around, though? And, and I, I would say that, so, I mean, the alternative would have been that overdevelopment and, and, and a community that looks like a lot of places up island. Yeah. And, and I would also note that I, I could, well, I, I would hazard to guarantee you that none of that development would have been affordable housing over the last 25 years. It would have been more McMansions. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You shouldn't yeah. have jumped in so soon, Bill. You should have let him go out and hang himself. <laughs> and see, because, because, look, I think this is dangerous territory we're treading, frankly, because... It certainly is, and it was your idea. The rest of us are here. <laughs> he made us. He made us come. It sounds like revisionist history. And and that's not what I'm suggesting. I, there's no question the Community Preservation Fund was innovative, and I think it was ultimately it saved this region from being something much worse than it might have been. Can we also, can we leave open a space though to say that in solving that problem, I think we hastened the, the decline of some other areas because I don't think the towns, the towns didn't take steps to address those other problems that I think were foreseeable 25 years ago. You, you should have known that when we were going to preserve land to limit overdevelopment, one of the downsides of that was going to be, it's going to drive up housing costs and it's going to, it's going to create less space to, to create affordable housing. And Did it drive up housing costs though? I mean, I mean. I, yeah, I kind of see what Bill's talking about here. Cause I feel like, you know, I mean, here's one of the big things is we are basically defined by our geography here you know we have a lot of water you can only build out so much so whether that was nothing but mcmansions or nothing but open space i still think that the prices would have gone through the roof by the nature of the fact that we aren't you know las vegas where you just keep building out another layer because it's it's like a new it's like an atomic bomb the waves just keep going out because they can here you can't go out and i think anytime you have geography that is defined by geographic features like giant mountains or oceans you come to a point where you are the prices are naturally going to go up because of the limit limitations on any kind of buildable area and a couple of more farm fields that were subdivided for small mansions mm -hmm. were not make going to make a huge difference in the right. grand scheme i think that's a fair point I think I think another point that should be made though is that um, the first thing you learn in economics 101 is the law of supply and demand. And when you take how much, the question is how much land has been removed from potential for development by the the CPF, and you know would that be enough to have an impact on making a house go from you know a million dollars to a million two or whatever i mean it's it it would certainly have had to have played some role it's over ten thousand acres yeah it's been over ten thousand, you know which is a lot of land you know and um you know, there would certainly there would certainly be uh, you know a, a, nothing was going to stop the real estate market here from from escalating i mean no, no, I think that's true. And and as economists will talk about, I mean, there's negative unintended impacts that happen. Any, it doesn't mean what you did was wrong. And that, that's sort of my point here is that none of this is meant to suggest that there's, that it was a mistake, but I'm just sort of intrigued that, that we're finally maybe with Jay's comment saying out loud something. And that you had said, you know, we're saying the quiet part out loud for the first time. Uh, I, that I mean, I was struck too. It came on the heels of two things. One very big bit of context, which is 
Governor Kathy Hochul and her state plan to pursue more housing on a state level. And her point is that, and, and I think I've talked about this in, in other podcasts, that this is a point that's being made at the national level, that a lot of the restrictive housing rules that we have, the, the, the uh, multi-acre zoning, things like that, are seen by a lot of housing uh, housing people who are in favor of affordable housing. They see those as inherently prejudicial. They're designed to keep people out and they're designed to keep a community unaffordable for certain people. I think that that's like a a way to look at it that, you know, the way that they kept people out was like red lining and with covenants on property if you want to know how the racism in housing existed to keep poor minorities out look at that there were covenants that just said no black people may live here that was the racism why do people want single family homes and they want big backyards and they want quiet streets where kids could play outside because there's not many cars outside it's because they like that lifestyle that suburban semi-rural lifestyle like the fact that we don't have an apartment in our backyard doesn't really mean we're bad people. It means that we live on a small property, but it's just enough for us to have like a patio and a garden. The thought that this neighborhood existed to keep out poor people doesn't really track. And when you talk about Hochul's proposal about adding housing, well, if we got rid of single family housing, we would add, we would add more units okay yes if we didn't preserve all that land we could have built units of housing on that land okay yes but think about transfer of development rights what about every time where we said we're going to preserve some land over here because it's essential to protecting our aquifer and to protecting nature right over here we're going to let you have more density Mm -hmm. you could solve the south forks affordable housing crisis by building on land that's already been developed. Go to the Bridgehampton Commons and put up an apartment building. Mm -hmm. You don't need to go to the Pine Barrens and put up an apartment building and say, oh, all we needed to do was to get rid of all this preserved land. And also the reason that the land is preserved, I mean, it's five acre zoning is not designed to like keep out specific groups at least that's not the stated purpose it's really to protect the aquifer by not having too many cesspools and things like that of on top of it yeah that that's what i'm sort of intrigued by is i think in this area the the i think you both make great points which is the five acre zoning wasn't designed necessarily for the reasons that that i think people suggest it was for it was for environmental reasons but brendan brendan's also right a lot of the people who are buying land here want land and and they live in the city part time and they want a place that has a little bit of land. And so the bigger estates make sense. That's that's and, and also it's people at the high that can afford higher end properties. They want a little more land. So I'm not sure that it happened here for the same reason it happens in other communities um, with the with the zoning. But the problem is that that the governor's plan would would treat us with the same broad brush that it treats a lot of communities. And I, I one of the stories that we had um, this week, and I think it was from the Environmental Roundtable, every, everyone, environmentalists, elected officials, politicians of all sorts said flat out that Governor Hochul's plan is a terrible idea here. And I, I was sort of struck by that, 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 that it, it crossed political lines it, it doesn't matter what what poli- your politics were everyone thought it was a terrible idea and i think probably governor hopel would say in the communities where that's the case those are the communities that need to change <laughs> more than any so we may be setting setting up for a real showdown at some point local support comes from the law firm of toomey latham shea kelly dubin and Cordoraro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 
27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. That whole idea that if you if you're using your town money to create an affordable housing program, you get to also decide how those units are um, filled, right? Was that kind of the gist of what I got from reading Kitty's story? Is that you know, like there's always been this thing that you can't you know, you have to abide by certain state regulations as far as who is allowed to um, apply and who gets in there. But I feel like when you're talking about town money, you can also be more specific about who moves in there, like somebody who already has a job on the East End. Right. You can, you know, there's all sorts of things you can add to it. Except that if I understand it correctly, fair housing laws are fair housing laws, right, Brendan? That you, you, I mean, you can't, I, I mean, you know, to take an extreme example, you can't, as a town, build apartments and say no children. I mean, you, you couldn't do that. Well, you're forgetting what a 55 and over is. And there's 55 and overs that could say, you know, one resident has to be 55. The second and third resident has to be over 30. Mm. And there is an affordable 55 and over in Hampton Bay is right behind the movie theater, isn't there? There is. A, there, it's on the other side of the railroad tracks, I believe, yeah. That, that being said, if people move, if if people had, if people were fifty five and older, and they had grandchildren that needed a place to stay, you couldn't restrict the grandchildren from living there. If I recall correctly, that came up at one point. You can um, because you can't because it's fair, like, fair housing law does does come in. You can't say the children can't live in the in the in their unit if the fifty five and older owns it. No, 55 and olders, 55 and over is a certain type of covenant that has been legally protected. That's why they're all over Long Island. And you do hear people say, okay, we were told, let them build this 55 and over community. It's not going to contribute any kids to the school district. So it's going to increase tax revenue while not using a lot of services, which means that taxes for everybody else not necessarily go down, but they don't go up as fast because you've added to the pool of people paying taxes while not adding to the pool of students going into the school district. That's why there's so many 55 and over communities on Long Island. That's why towns love them. Not necessarily Southampton and East Hampton, but you go to Brookhaven West, they love 55 and over communities for this reason. Every once in a while, what you hear is, well, why is there a school bus pulling up here and there's kids getting on it if it's a 55 and over community? And that becomes a fight because they're not supposed to be there. There's no federal protection that says you could be 55, move in with your kid and, and your kid's three kids and send three kids to the local school district. The fair housing law doesn't mandate that you're allowed to do that. Otherwise, every single community that says we are a 55 and over community should take that sign down. And I guess my point with, with bringing this up is, as we're seeing, this is a wide ranging conversation that is long overdue to have in this community. And, and I think the Community Housing Fund approval and the fact that the CHF collection is going to go into effect on April 1st, we're going to start collecting this tax. We're going to have to start having these conversations in earnest, and we're going to have to start setting aside the uh, off-limits conversations. And, and the other thing that prompted this with me was we recently had uh, an Express Sessions event with a very big panel of real estate folks. And at that panel, even today, one of the real estate people said, well, there's so much money in the community preservation fund. I wish we could have been able to repurpose that for affordable housing rather than create a new tax. And I'm sort of surprised that at this point that people still 
have that, that they don't get that this was the only way it could happen. There was no other way you could do this legally. Um, and Fred Thiel's made a really impassioned case that you wouldn't even be able to get it approved at the at the state level to do that. But it goes to this point of, of seeing the, the connection between the impact of the CPF and the need for affordable housing. It's it's still it's very resonant. I, I wonder if that didn't come, though, from from the early arguments on CHF that rather than instituting a, a new um you know, quarter percent, half percent tax that you take that 2% and you just take a portion of that and dedicate that to the, to community housing fund under a new umbrella or, or, or whatever, rather than raising the 2% up. And I think that was. Yeah, but, but Fred has said flat out, he would not be able, first of all, he wouldn't be able to get that through Albany. And second of all, none of the local environmentalists would support that because it would be taking money away from the CPF, which does still need money to do the things it does and to pay for things it's already purchased. Yeah. I mean, it, you can't really justify doing that. I think he did it the only way. Plus it's been, plus it's been used, you know, it's, it's also some of that CPF money is now going into water quality yeah. issues, which is vitally important. That's what you have to remember. This isn't all just about making sure we have, um, you know, woods instead of houses next to us. It's not just a, you know, it really is an environmental yeah, absolutely. initiative to protect groundwater. So that's the other thing that is no question. Important. Yeah. And, and, and probably more of that. I know that East Hampton town is having a conversation about whether maybe more of the, uh, CPF should go towards water quality funds. And, I, you know, the success of the CPF, which is overwhelming, I think breeds these things where you start to go, well, gee, is there, is there a way that we could, we could do this differently within those successes? And I, I just think it's a really dynamic period right now because we are poised to, to take a jump off a cliff now with the CHF and, and having money to spend on affordable housing projects where we never did before. And we're going to have to bump up against some places where we're a little uncomfortable, for instance. So the little town I lived in, in Western Pennsylvania, was a town of like 1,100 people. It was, it was a little, little town, very old. Um, you know, a lot of the buildings dated to the 1800s, a lot of the houses, a lot of the main street was had some buildings that dated to the 1800s. And it was basically two stories. You didn't have a lot bigger than that. But right in the middle of the town on the main street, there was an eight level senior housing building that was right in the middle of that town. And it was built in the 70s i believe something like that but it was part of the landscape of that little town you don't see an eight-story building anywhere except montauk i think has the 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 building that's that's out there right tower um, right yeah yeah it's like six six floors you don't see this kind of a structure anywhere that's because we have zoning laws and you didn't have right. zoning laws in pennsylvania that's absolutely right just to go back to, you know, we earlier we were talking about zoning and, and, and racism. I think the argument um, is that you know, zoning is the way you place uses. So you, you know, out here we have estate lots or south of the highway. You have small lots are typically along, uh, you know, major roads or, or um, railroad lines and stuff like that. And I think the argument is, is that zoning, as it was originally practiced, separated out uses that were considered noxious. So you would have the industrial section of town along the railroad tracks, and then you'd have on the other side of those tracks, that's where you'd put, you know, the small properties, you know, for the working class or, you know, or, or minorities. And I think that's where the root of that argument comes from. But zoning, you know, the, the like, like, so for instance, the kind of zoning that prevents us from having towers. Uh, I mean, I, I think, that that's that's a very good question is to at what where at what point do we do we allow the zoning to be varied enough to where you perhaps could have a three-story or a four-story apartment building uh, along you know why why not have have a four-story apartment where the um the Kmart is at the Bridgeham Commons 
Yeah, and 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 that was sort of my point is that building did not change the the character of that small town significantly. It was utilitarian because you need places like that for in this case it was for older residents. But I, you know, I, I hear the conversation in Hampton Bays when there's a conversation about a three. I mean, they they're only talking about three or maybe four stories in Hampton Bays, and people lose their minds. I, I'm not sure. And, and I'm not advocating we go suddenly build a bunch of apartment complexes all over the region. Don't get me wrong. But I'm, I'd like to push up against the notion that these, these kinds of buildings somehow are just anathema on the South Fork. You cannot build a four-story building on the South Fork, period, that it's just completely out of character. I think that may be 1960s thinking, and we may have to rethink that. Hi, this is Michael Wright. I'm a reporter for the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and 27East.com. I cover East Hampton Town and follow important stories about the environment, including the coming South Fork wind farm, its impact on the fishing industry, and other water quality issues. We follow East Hampton Town and village government, and I'm asking the tough questions and providing you with important answers. My colleagues and I in the editorial department work hard as watchdogs for this community, but we can't do it without our subscribers. If you find the work we're doing valuable to you, please subscribe by visiting 27East.com forward slash subscribe. Thank you very much. I, I agree. I, I think you're going to need to see those, particularly, I, I think they're going to be in, in downtown areas um, and, and all that. My question is, though, do, do, you, do you have to change the zoning just for town town owner produced projects or town sponsored projects with CHF or or do you suspend the zoning altogether and run the risk of developers coming in and building four-story luxury um waterfront um you know condominium you know buildings that uh, that aren't affordable um how do you allow one for for the town and not allow developers to to do the same thing you do overlay districts or, or do you uh, because it has a higher use you know it has a higher use it 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 it, it saves the community um well when i lived in hoboken um any new development like a towery thing had to have a certain percentage of the units to be affordable and that was how they did it and it actually wasn't a bad plan because that way you had you know the people paying full market rate living in the same building as people that were in affordable units and you didn't know who was who so it kind of sure you did well no i don't think so (laughs) well i mean out out here out here anyway i've seen that where you have you know these these developers come in with with 20 you know building 20 20 condos or apartment units or whatever and you know and and the, the market value ones there's you know 17 market value ones that are 1500 square feet and then you've got three affordable ones that are 500 square feet studios and you think that nobody knows who's who's living there and and not for nothing if i'm getting an affordable place i i don't care except that i'm i'm living around people who maybe aren't on the same wavelength as me but you're walking in and out of the same door and on the same side so it's not like it's not like people are like you know oh let's cross the other side of the street that's an affordable housing complex i don't want to walk by that yeah, but you're not you're not getting invited to the neighbor's party. I don't anyway. <laughs> the thing that I think is interesting about this is like after what we just saw that's going on in Sag Harbor, where you had a developer that was going to come in and had a plan for affordable housing that was then um, rejected by a lot of community members for a lot of various reasons. Then they got painted with the brush of nimbyism. Oh, these people don't want affordable housing. Where you know, anytime you criticize yeah. these these for profit developments that come in, that's the thing that I worry about. Is like you can't say anything bad about a development if it's affordable housing because then sure. it's going to look like you're anti affordable housing when you may not be. It just made the other objection. Uh, and, and same 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 thing on 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 County Road thirty nine. The 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 uh, the the proposed project up there that would would provide um you know six, 60 units and um well i, I don't want to you know the the details may have changed but you know it was promoted as workforce housing for a lot of people and it turned into 
you know, workforce housing for some people and, and then, a, you know, kind of assisted living for, for, for other people. And when there were some objections to that and traffic problems, you know, issues with, with the, the plan and all that, then, you know, then the, the YIMBY people came in and said, well, opponents are just opposed to affordable housing when there are some other real concerns about the project, you know. Right. You're, you're, it's like they're trying to make you so you, you know, you can't be critical about any aspect of an affordable housing project, which if I was a developer looking to take advantage of this money, I'd be like, yeah, you know, get in there. Yeah. But see, that that's the other thing is I don't want what I'm saying to be misinterpreted as we need to go rushing whole hog to build, you know, all of these. I, I Because I think there were real concerns about that building in Sag Harbor. But let me let me name names for a second here. If we're talking about Sag Harbor. Let's talk about Watch Case, which was a taller building that already existed in the town for another reason that was converted into housing. And they were supposed to have affordable units, but they were able to dodge that because nobody held their feet to the fire. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with that. The problem with it is that Watch Case is, is not a rental unit. It's condominium unit. And there's apparently, from what I understood, there was a law in the book that, yeah, so you could, if you had an affordable apartment in there, um, you know, you could charge X amount of dollars, but the problem is that, that by condo laws, you're not, everybody has to pay the maintenance fee. And by that maintenance fee would automatically make an affordable apartment, not affordable because you can't waive the maintenance fee for certain people in a condo building. It wasn't a rental building. It was a condo building. And that's totally different. I see. So these are the complications. And if I could interject, there's if I could, there's no reason why you couldn't have separated out the townhouse component of that development, yeah, and made it a non-condo affordable housing deal. That's why that's why they were able to get Watch Case to contribute to the the housing fund, the Sag Harbor Community Housing Trust. But unfortunately, that fund has been far out. The, you know, the, the the escalation of uh, higher real estate values has outstripped the ability of that fund to, to keep pace. Mm -hmm. Well, well, let me let me ask this question. I mean, you know, we're talking about private projects with a public benefit, and the public benefit that you typically see for affordable housing, whether there's somebody coming in with a new subdivision or condo development or whatever, is, is a small number of those units be, being affordable. Is, is the answer rather um, to to replicate some of the projects in East Hampton that are that were town-owned, town-built, um, and all affordable units and guaranteed all affordable, run by a housing authority um, that, that, that takes that for-profit developer out of the picture um so that you don't have some of the well they're still partners they're still partners in the mix there there is a development firm that 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 builds and runs those places um you know that or at least builds them right i mean that no i, I think the town well some some yes and some no but i i there's the one a big apartment complex in in is it whalebone that's in in east hampton that's that's I I mean somebody built it yes for the town but I think believe that's run by the by the housing authority by the authority run I think run is the key point I I think you're right I'm wrong about that the partnership is about building them um and and they've because I know Southampton Town has done that they've worked with with partners to build the Sandy Hollow and the Spionk buildings I don't know I just think it's interesting because it does feel like you're going to get a lot of vultures swooping now who are ready to you know like people who really want to come in and build these things but um you know like i said it's going to be going to be interesting to watch and, and and if if you have any objections are you allowed to voice them listen nobody nobody holds back from their objections if they really feel that way you go to these meetings and there are plenty of people who are willing to come out and say no if that's how they feel i went to a meeting where they were talking about building an apartment building where by law, 10% of the apartments would be affordable. And it was asked, well, how much are the affordable units going to be? And the answer was $1,500 a month. And the response from the person who asked the question was, that's going to bring in riffraff. Now, see, that's what I mean. I, I, I think those conversations, the, the way we've had those conversations up till now is just not going to work going forward. There's just, we, we've got to change. Yeah. And I mean, I really, and I love 
Hampton Bays, for instance. I live here. I love Hampton Bays. I love the, the people of Hampton Bays are so engaged and they have a lot of varied opinions and we have a very diverse community. But I, when I hear the way Hampton Bays talks about the future, I don't hear a realistic vision. You, the idea of I want everything to stay exactly as it is doesn't work. And I think you have to be willing to realize it. So you have Kathy Hochul who's pushing in this direction and you have community activists who are pushing that we need. And, and there's a reason because, because this community does need more affordable housing and, and Hampton Bay is actually is really well suited to take on more. If you talk to Lars Clemenson, who is the superintendent of Hampton Bay school district, they have plenty of room to add kids. They're not going to have to spend a lot more if if the, the school population is declining in Hampton Bays. And it has been declining in a lot of communities. I believe in Southampton, it's been declining as well. And there's room to add some kids to those, those schools. The benefit to our community, the benefit to Hampton Bays, for instance, to create more housing in the business district that maybe comes with some more business opportunities as well would benefit the community all the way around and it wouldn't harm us with the school district it's time to start having that conversation and talking about facts instead of it always being emotionally driven and quite frankly i'm not sure what the motivation is for some people and i'm not sure it's all something favorable i, th I think the motivation can be a lot of other things and and we need to get past that too well, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you a story, and this dates back to at least 20 years ago, maybe maybe a little longer, when I was a, a eager young reporter working for the Western edition of the Southampton Press, and they were proposing an affordable housing project in Flanders that I believe was going to be like two units. It was going to be like taking a house and splitting it into into two i don't remember i don't remember the details if they were going to be rentals or for sale and they were affordable and they were having a community meeting to you know to talk about it and i went up there and of course everybody was up in arms you're not going to build that in my neighborhood blah 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 and i remember and remember it distinctly looking over at one point and there was a, a little a, a little girl there a child and she was maybe five years old six seven years old something like that and she looked up at um her father or grandfather and said is this the meeting to keep the n-words out oh my and 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 you know and and i i like to i like to think that we've come a long way since then as as a nation and as a community and 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 all all that and 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 you know but but there's always been that element of who's going to be living in these places and are they different from me and do I, you know, and I don't want them there because they're different from me. And here is where I hasten to say, I won't paint with a broad brush and say that people who are opposed to projects in Hampton Bays and other areas are motivated by racism or anything. I'm not suggesting that's true of everybody. Not at all. There are legitimate concerns for, for people to have. My point is maybe Jay's comment, where he said the quiet part out loud is the start of us all kind of agreeing to say that, that this is a new, this is a new time we're entering now and the community housing fund is going to create some, some changes in dynamics that we're going to have to address. We're going to have to be willing to have these conversations and not fall back on old tropes to just, you know, to submarine them. There, and there, there are maybe a lot of other quiet parts that, haven't been said out loud that need to be said out loud sure i also have to say that the that jay's comment i i mean i've heard variations on that for years okay maybe i'm maybe i'm reading too much into it i i found it sort of striking just that that's the first time i've heard anyone say anything quite like that and you know and you're you're reading into it that he's the 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 cpf end of it but i, I think there's also the the you know the 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 zoning end of it which you know which which there may be 
other things you know that that he that he meant about that and different zonings and, and different restrictions and um things that have have hindered single single family single family zoning i mean we've we've had that discussion i mean there might be areas where you can change that single family zoning um you know to to multi-family zoning jay has proposed zoning changes to allow um well both towns have have you know proposed zoning changes to allow accessory apartments where they weren't allowed before um so so there's there were there a lot of different zoning restrictions in in place over the last however many years that might have hindered um you know building of affordable units that you know that that zoning could um could could change um without having you know other than you know what's been been eliminated through through cpf sure i think like there's also been like a fear of putting more density into the village centers yeah which I think is, right. which i think is a mistake just because you know that's how europe basically has always been organized you have the dense urban village or town centers and then you leave your farmland as actual farmland and um you know that just having people live in a place that's a transportation hub makes a lot more sense than scattering them around and you know if you're talking about a traffic issue um having more people centralized is a better idea but i think that's been a big pushback too is increasing the number of people living in um, the village centers doesn't seem to be always something that people are thrilled about. Well, if you're talking about affordable housing, you know, the um, you're talking about some people who may not have the same transportation options as other people. If it's a, you know, I mean, maybe there's a, maybe it's a single car family um, or, or, you know, a family with, without a car and how are they getting their groceries and, 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 you know, how are they, you know, um doing do, doing other commerce in in the area if you're in a downtown area that becomes a little easier if you're in hampton bays you can you can walk to a restaurant you can you know uh, take out food you can you can walk to a couple different grocery store options if you're in, in the downtown area and that seems to make a lot of sense um i i mean i look at the affordable housing in spionk and i think that's a great success um but it's not like the train service there runs regularly where people could hop on a train and get to a mall um you know and do the shopping that 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 they need so I, and i i would point to watch case in sag harbor as an example of so now the way things work out you have a multi-level structure full of housing right in the middle of town i think in most ways that's worked out just fine why would that be such an uh, a terrible concept in other communities that that if you had to build that building it, it wouldn't necessarily destroy the small town feel of a community just because you've actually built some place for people who can afford to live there and and I, I i mean those are but then brent brendan then you come to the issue of Southampton couldn't do that because they don't have a sewer and and we run into the infrastructure question. Sewer has been a huge part of the discussion that we've been missing up until this point, because you can't just build that for, you know, four story apartment building or condo building without sewers. And, you know, sometimes you could do a development and you could have kind of a mini sewage treatment plant or something that can accommodate a limited amount but when you're trying to go into like an existing village it's not that easy to say well we're going to throw an ia system in well where are you going to throw it in there's not a lot of places to put it there's everything could end up under parking spots eventually but the real dream and vision for southampton village in particular is to have sewers that go up to a sewage treatment plant that's going to be outside of the village center it's not going to be in the parking lot behind Village Hall necessarily, it might go up North Sea Road. And that is at least 10 years off just because it takes that long to design and build these things and get all the pipes in that are necessary. Once that happens, that's another way where you open up opportunities for housing without having to worry about how much land was preserved. Because now you could put in second and third and possibly fourth floor apartments on Main Street and Hampton Road in Southampton Village. And 
not really affect anybody because some of these buildings already have second and third stories and they just can't get a permit for a legal apartment because they don't have the septic system that's required. Mm -hmm. I, I think I, I was going to, I was going to, uh, that's an important point. And I was going to point to, to um, Riverhead, you know, to the North as, as having been successful in some of those high rise apartment buildings on main street. But again, that's only possible because they have a sewer system. So I wonder is like, you know, West Hampton beach recently got a, a, a attached to a sewer system. Are they looking at increasing the number of affordable housing units that they have on their main street now that they are tapped into a sewer system? They they haven't talked about affordable housing in, in those terms, but they have talked about allowing more apartments over the stores um, along main street, whether those would be affordable or not. I, I don't know. And that's going to have to be a, a direction that the village board is going to have to look at because they think they've created uh, a Tony Little Main Street, and I applaud them for that. Um, with the redevelopment over the you know the last few years, but those those apartments could become hot button, um, you know high high end high end you know um, seasonal rentals of people that want to be on Main Street you know during the summer. Right. There are already some apartments on on Main Street in West Hampton Beach, and I think um, they're fairly affordable. But you know. I would suggest it's going to be tough. The villages, they talk about allowing more second floor residences. And I think in some cases, especially like in Southampton Village, Brendan, there are some residences on second floors there that either are not being used because of the septic issue or they were converted into offices because of the septic issue. So you could convert those back into apartments. But beyond that, the the expense of adding a second floor to a, a commercial building to for is is not going to be anywhere close to you could build an, an affordable complex standalone a lot cheaper so i think the villages are going but this is the point I, I guess to sum this up i think we've seen the cpf transform this area I think we're going to see the CHF have an opportunity to start a new transformation. There's going to be a transformation regardless. And I think it's time for us to start having a real conversation about what a transformation would look like and what do we want to keep? And what do we, what do we, you know, what do we find most in need of preserving in, in these villages and hamlets and, and other areas? And, and what are some things that we might be willing to accept? to try and address the problem. Yeah, you know, I, I think one thing that I always come back to when I first moved here, Patchog uh, was a dump. And there's been an awful lot of, of revitalization work done there. And if you go to Patchog today, it's kind of a nice place. I mean, there's there's a downtown and, and you know, you can go to the movies or you can, you know, I mean, there's restaurants and whatever. And, you know, I, I think, that's the kind of thing here is that we have we have so many people who they want to come over that the Shinnecock Canal and and you know and put the drawbridge up and um and and they want to have the farm field for themselves but they don't want to have anyone else and you know that's a problem I mean I and I think that you know the notion zoning is a is a kind of a is a blunt tool and it's um it's hard to to use it to to, to fashion real communities I mean it's a it's you know, it, it's got to be, there has to be some kind of tweaking to it. I mean, you know, it's, I've been here long enough. I, I you know, I've been here for what, for, for 30 some years. And before my time, I remember, I can't remember who it was who said it, but, you know, they, they quoted, you know, Marty Lang, who had been a supervisor in Southampton saying that, you know, there will never be another apartment built in Southampton town when they, when they did, you know, their their big zoning, you know, changes, and and that's, you know, that's accurate. I mean, and that's you know, twenty five years ago, they also said no hotel rooms, and yet we have Canoe Place in now, which which is yeah. hotels, and now the town itself is looking at at making the Bel Air Motel in Hampton Bays. The whole idea was to move that away from a motel use into something else. But now one of the leading proposals for that site is a new hotel unit. And 
I'm not sure that's wrong. I mean, that may be an example of sort of acknowledging the need. It's a resort community. Yeah. Why? I never, I never understood why there weren't hotels. I, no, you don't want the, you know, the the twelve story, you know, oceanfront, you know, stuff. We're not Myrtle Beach, but, um, you know, you, you want people to come out for a weekend or or a week or or whatever. It's a resort community. Come spend your money. Steve, Steve mentioned Steve mentioned Patchog, and you know, and um, again, I mean, that comes back to well, they they. They renovated the theater and and that helped and they have a sewer district and they built housing for for artists and they built you know affordable housing and and they built multi-story units there and that seems to be a model but it made me wonder you know we've we've talked about you know sewer sewers in in a lot of different areas i wonder if you couldn't use some of that chf money um to to help the towns and, and villages and hamlets that don't have sewers to to put in some sewers if that's going to allow more housing and, and higher density. Mm. Um, that always seems to be the big issue with the sewers is it's so expensive. The reason that West Hampton Beach was able to do it is they tied into the county system, um, so they didn't have to pay for a plant. They paid for all the you know the pipes and stuff. But I, I wonder if you couldn't spin it that way. Mm. Plus, I think there's a lot of grants out there that they could apply for. There are now it's water quality. And then there's the big question of what happen, happens, you know, Southampton Hospital has its own sewage treatment plant yeah. on site. And so what about that? Um, when they move to their new home on the Stony Brook Southampton campus? It's one of the things the village is aware of and, and talking about. It's, it won't solve anything, but it'll but it'll maybe, you know, part of the solution. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a community that's that's on a precipice, I think, and, and it's going to go one way or the other. And I think, I think uh, it's, it's exciting times, but it's a little scary too. And uh, we have put these conversations off for way too long. If you but to your, to your original point, Joe, I, I think, you know, the community should be, should always be, you know, super grateful for, for the CPF and preserve, preserving the character oh, of, of the South Fork and, and there may have been unintended consequences of that, but I, I can only imagine what the community would look like if if that hadn't um, happened 25 years ago, and um, you know, and all those properties preserved. 100. percent I, I I think we would have been in the same situation. You would just have a lot more expensive houses. I think you're probably right. I I and I think you'd have, yeah, and and I think that the 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 pressure on the infrastructure that's that's already here would be twice as much much higher much higher yeah no question yeah all right well we solved that we solved nothing <laughs> but we talked about it we talked about it that's the key right yeah that's the thing it's like you know it would be nice if, if going forward that there could be some sort of way to organize more just like um you know, these, these brainstorming sessions, not these battles, you know, mm -hmm. like I remember going to a couple of things in Sac Harbor where it was like, um, you know, talking about traffic issues, you know, calming and pedestrians and all that. And it wasn't really looking, it wasn't like they were going up against the village board who had a proposal or it was more just let's talk about how this could be, you know, mm -hmm. that's the, the way to go. I think it's what's missing. Yeah. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. 
Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.